I had so much of a wealth of knowledge to also spread. And I realized that, you know, the knowledge should never be privatized. It should be obviously like public use. And Welcome back to the Sustainable Act. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today because I'm so inspired by this person. So Isaiah Hernandez has created a platform called Queer Brown Vegan and is an eco educator who lives a vegan and zero waste life. Isis, hello. Hi, it's so nice to meet everyone. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm just like, I've been following your page for a while now. And like, mm. every time I learn something new and it's just so valuable and things that I didn't even think about, you know, that mm. you're discussing, it's just like, I'm so glad that you created this platform. And I think what stood out to me, especially though, um, learning like from your page and like, uh, learning about you was uh, the importance of intersectional environmentalism. And I think mm. that's when I realized um, over my journey in like sustainability and just learning about uh, the climate crisis, all the people that I looked up to and the organizations I looked up to were prominently white and like very, it mm -hmm. like lacked diversity. And I think this year I really started to look for more diverse environmentalists and I found this whole community that I didn't know existed and you were one of them and I'm just so uh, glad. <laughs> I'm really glad that you were able to tune in and like obviously like embed yourself within a different types of communities of the environmental community. I think it's obviously very daunting and sometimes scary to really um, tap into that or look more into research because you're like where do I start like there's no such thing as like BIPOC environmentalists like you can't google it and a group will come up you know you see a lot of things so I really appreciate you doing that work to tune in to there and do research. Yeah I think I think as somebody who is also part of the BIPOC community and I like work in film um, I already see such a lack of diversity in like my field and whenever I do see someone that looks like me or someone part of the BIPOC community you know on a platform um, such as like a filmmaker or an activist I don't know, there's something in me that just like sparks a light of like inspiration that I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Like I can also do that. And like, you know, it's just inspiring the fellow generations to come. And I never thought about it when it came to like environmentalism till now. And yeah, yeah. so I'm really glad that like, you know, we're fostering this community. And now there is, I think, because of the new projects that started with intersectional mm -hmm. yeah. that it'll be more norm. Yeah, that definitely, Leah, Leah has done such an amazing job to talk about intersectional environmentalists. And I think that a lot of collectively, we can all agree that a lot of the work that we've been doing has always been focused on interconnectedness and intersectionality, of course, right? And I think that, you know, the environmental movement essentially isn't siloed, it's ingrained and embedded and interconnected. And I think that's what you're trying to point out is that it's essentially a growing movement that has, you know, for so long has been whitewashed or what you would not whitewash it say, but more about it's been misrepresented in a different light. And I think that now people are being showcased all these identities and these work that people have always been doing, that we've always been doing, and our ancestors have been doing the work for environmentalism. Mm -hmm. And so so important and but I just want to get to know you a little bit so like what inspired this like journey and like the environmental journey and like how did you get into this 
for me for like my environmental journey is that as I, was, I always tell people I am obviously Mexican American my parents had immigrated from Mexico um, to the United States in the 1980s and you know they settled in Los Angeles as my home um, but I think that for me growing up like you know I had all these like very unique identities for myself that I never really understood growing up I mean uh, one is that my, you know, unfortunately, I grew up in a community that lived near environmental injustices. So a lot of the air pollution in my nearby community was nearby waste incinerators. And later on, as I got older, um, I moved to a different city in Los Angeles that, is, of course, is not near waste incinerators now, but it's near uh, train tracks and heavy intersections of the freeway, which obviously pollutes more pollution, of course, long term effects. And I think that you know, a lot of the times my sustainable journey or my environmental journey was based off survivalhood. So I think that when I tell people I recycled cans at a young age growing up, it's like literally myself going to neighborhoods with my mom and collecting, getting the cans from the, the recycling bins and putting them in your car or in your bags and just taking that to the nearby uh, recycling fair, recycling, um, you know, exchange that was like nearby my house that was like right down the block. And it was based off like that generation of survivalhood for me and just understanding that it wasn't until I was accessing green spaces, like the weekends going with the parks with my family um, to be able to play there. Cause obviously we lived in an apartment my whole life. So I didn't have access to backyards and it was like, couldn't go outside either for a long time because of the air quality or like it was not quote unquote uh, safe for a child to go outside during that time. So it was very this like complex uh, journey in my life. It was only until high school when I started thinking about obviously like your career, right? A lot of people were like, what are you doing in college? Or what do you want to major? And it's like, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just knew that maybe something in the science field was something appealable to me. I knew I wasn't that smart, but I knew I wasn't, um, you know, I was just like an average student that like, you know, just worked really hard. So I think that that was really my ethic. And when I got into UC Berkeley for environmental science, I could have never imagined that I got into that program, especially that major, especially because, you know, my grades weren't the best in high school and I really struggled a lot. And I think that when I got in, that's when I started realizing of a lot of the interconnectedness of injustices. So the first protest I ever attended uh, was 2014 for Black Lives Matter in, in Oakland. And I think that was something that really, like, I understood of the racism that was happening, but I didn't really, you know, as an 18 year old, I didn't really uh, physically like experience the pain, everything that you see that happened there. And it was really, you know, something that really got to me. And I realized that like more and more, I realized like within academia that also wasn't being offered or talked about. So I realized I have to both be thinking through a community standpoint, but also an academic standpoint. And I think that you know, more and more I delved into environmental science for my degree and I realized that like a lot of the material was always siloed and inaccessible and even in within activist spaces for the environmental movement when they talked about environmental racism, climate justice, I really did not know what those terms meant. I, I understood what, you know, injustices were in a sense, but I didn't really know what exactly does it mean. Like, what is it? And I felt ashamed to ask those questions, even myself, that someone who came from that community, because I felt that I wasn't good enough to be speaking about it, of the language. So, and the people who dominated those conversations were usually white folks that obviously did not even experience environmental racism or environmental injustices. So I think for me, like I realized that 
you know, it was a it was a time for me to engage in this journey for my environmental career. And, you know, as soon as I got as more and more I got older, I started unlearning more of my own biases, you know, so, you know, it's actively working towards becoming an anti-racist and like, you know, just continuously pushing myself to learn more and unlearn. And I think that, you know, I'm still doing it today, of course, but I think that um, post-grad, I was so confused what I wanted to do in college because I love creativity, I love environmentalism, but I didn't know where the interconnections were. I didn't know what industry offered that. I didn't know. And it was very hard as obviously the first, you know, when you get out of college, you want to get a job, but you don't know what it is. You're thinking you'll be the dream job. And mm-hmm. it really it isn't. And I think that, I mean, some people are, of course, I'm not going to just validate that. But um, I think for me, it realized that uh, my first year of postgrad, I worked on an environmental magazine with my best friend. That's the, also the co-creator of Alluvia magazine that highlighted Black, Indigenous, people of color environmentalists doing the cre- uh, intersections between art and environmental storytelling. And we really showcased these environmentalists that was only featured for BIPOCs because we saw the lack of diversity in a lot of magazines failure to focus on these individuals and also to if they featured them it was only for a one slot one pager or like half a page that they were featured in and the whole magazine else was white folks being in the covers or hikers and stuff like that so it made me really empowered to really learn that and I think once we produced our first issue had our launch party it was so great um I was thinking about creating my own page too that was just solely obviously owned by me and just realizing that I had so much of a wealth of knowledge to also spread. And I realized that, you know, knowledge should never be privatized. It should be obviously like public use. And I think a lot of like environmental uh, open education pages express that and have always been like that. So I think that, you know, for me, I always believe like I didn't go to college for four years not to just privatize this information myself. Like, why don't I just distribute it in different ways that maybe people may not heard. But I think that um, of course, as the educator perspective, I always present it through an academic perspective plus personal, but that's not to say that any um, indigenous or ancestral uh, wisdom or terminology that you were introduced at a young age or values that you were instilled in growing up aren't, aren't uh, environmental education because they are. It's just that those words are sacred to your culture or your identity, and that's something that I always value too that should never be exploited, that should never be, of course, marketed as this trendy word because that's their sacred words right and I think that um for me like you know being an educator I realized that that's something that I really wanted and I think that the way I designed Career Brown Vegan was to essentially create um color code palettes to make sure that people were finding it engaging but I think for me in college I did it because I would always color code my notes because I wouldn't pay attention that well or I wouldn't understand the information or synthesize it for myself so I think for me it was about implying those same uh Webs interconnectedness within my own work and creativity in my creative agency job that I learned like design and stuff like that. So that's how really I built out this platform. But I started back in November 2019. So um, I was going through a lot. Like I just had actually just gotten like let go from my job and it was announced that January would be my last month. So it was a very pivotal uh, moment of my life. I was just like so um like so concerned I was like so stressed but also I felt very um passionate and very healing to be able to write and read every day that's something that I really wanted to improve on my reading and writing literacy skills and I think that you know through that that really stemmed my page and I'm thankful for all the people who have been supporting my page and really contacting me about it because that's something that 
I really didn't really ever imagine. And I always just wanted to be this like resource for people just to use without having to even thank me because it's not something that obviously like I want thankfulness for, you know, it's just about being human. I love that so much. That story that like everything, like that's so inspiring because I totally, and I also like what I love about that is like how you grew up in this environment and instead of just ignoring it or accepting it for what it is, you decided to go do something about it. Even if you were like, you were so young, you weren't sure. Cause I think we've all been there at some point where we're just not sure what we're doing in our life or we're going to college, we're studying something, but we're not exactly sure what's going to happen after. And like, I think that's like very relatable, but you just knew it deep within you that like there's something that you want to change and then and and the yeah. power of education. I absolutely yeah. love that because I think it's so important in this whole like climate movement, social justice is like not to guilt anyone into like um, doing something or believing something, but into just educating them and mm. guiding them. And I think the power of that because you can't change someone, but you can help them and yeah, so I really love that. Give them the tools to unlearn, yes. Yeah, and what you were saying about like, you know, when you were learning about these terms like environmental racism and things that you you weren't familiar with and you felt embarrassed, like I think I can connect with that because that's kind of where I am. Like I, I've only mm-hmm. been in this sustainability journey for like a few years um, where I really started mm-hmm. to learn about it. But, you know, the whole like idea of the terminology behind what environmental racism is and like intersectionality is, it's like, it's very new to me. And so hearing that, like, you know, it's comforting knowing that like, it's okay to be unfamiliar with it and, and like, and just learning and, you know, spend, cause that's like what, that's the whole point of this, right. Is to learn, educate and mm-hmm. become better individuals going forward. And yeah. yeah. So, that's super inspiring. Yeah, no, and and like you were saying, like I think that like you know a lot of us, of course, like have this stem of curiosity, and I think that it's just you know it's hard to take risk. It's hard to some for us as humans or myself, anyways. Like it's hard to be called in, right? But I think that then there's a day being called in is something for a step for you to like um, to step up essentially, and not something that should be like oh my gosh, shame on you, like you don't know this because at the end of the day, like, you know, even my younger self was like, had so many mistakes or so many biases within my own head too, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, and I also, I really admire your, it's, it's so cool to learn like where the color palette, that idea came from and like how that was it, like, yeah, but cause I love your page in terms of like how simple it is and how clean it is. And like mm-hmm. you said, it's accessible information. It's not, it's not like, um intimidating I think right like it's like something yeah. that anyone can go to and then like, learn and not feel pressured or guilty or you know intimidated I guess is the biggest word because that's what I felt is like when I saw your page I was like wow like it's like simple terms but now I'm like learning more and like what you said it's like being called in to learn yeah it's just all of that comes into yeah it. And like exactly what you said, and I think that it's more of a level one intro to environmentalism, right? I think that, I think a lot of people like, um, the way I delve into topics are like the inter- like interconnecting certain topics, but I think that's like the surface of what is being told, right? I think myself like going deeper into my work, it's so much more complex and mm-hmm. like, I still like have confusion. I still like question my own Um, ethics and ethics of certain works and it's just you know I think within the level one that I obviously like you know kind of introduce I think it's 
um, welcoming for people to really engage in that topic because um, not only do they get to know about it, but there's a lot of questions being asked. So, you know, sometimes people ask me questions that I posted that I'm like, I honestly don't know. Mm-hmm. So like I ask this question as an open response for you to critically think and challenge yourself to um, even, you know, what, what do you think? Because like at the end of the day, like my thoughts shouldn't be like upheld to a very high standard. Of course, yeah. it should always be held as like, you know, this is my thought. And I think other people have so much greater thoughts too than even myself. Mm-hmm. I love that. And yeah, just like, yeah. Cause it's sometimes hard to admit when you're like, I don't know the answer to that. Because you're on this, like, you have this platform. But I think ultimately Mm -hmm. that's, like, what makes you even wiser down the road. Is like, when you admit that you don't know the answer to something, but you're willing to learn and, like, and then, you know, pass that knowledge on, that's so powerful as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you, I I remember reading a post of yours where you said, I think you were describing, like, um, activism. And you said that you're not, you don't consider yourself as an activist. You're an educator mm-hmm. um what would you define an activist and like like because for me I see you as an activist but maybe I'm just like again learning like the terminology yeah I you know I think this is something like for myself like I had considered myself I think when I was younger like 18 to like I think 19 or 20 when I was obviously more involved in like uh school and like protests and stuff but I think for me like there's so many different forms of activism right And I think that there's like, of course, like there's this scale of activism or in sense of like, you know, severity or risk of being harmed, of course, within activist field. So I think like, you know, there's that one where those who are in the front lines, right, that are risking themselves too, of course, that like maybe facing like death or maybe facing threats. And there's um, others that, you know, of course, too, within digital activism, like educating, sharing resources, and also being a forefront in those digital media spaces is also very scary too. So I think the reason why I myself don't really label myself as an activist is because, um, to be quite frank, I've always been someone that's been more of on the supporter side of the activist field. I feel like, you know, for those who may want to seek refuge, those who may want to um, maybe learn more about activism, just the theory behind it, or maybe like, uh, you know, essentially like the values or um, meeting healing spaces or something like that. I'm more of that person that's on the ground and before those who are entering. So I think that, you know, as an educator myself, like, yes, it is a challenging institutions that obviously upheld white supremacy, but it's also for me, like the reason why I really identify myself as an educator is because I think that I've always been interested in education and to the fact that how much myself as an educator has I've been able to change myself. Not to say that activism hasn't changed me or what I did when I was younger, but it's just something that for myself anyways, as I move forward is that you know, how do I want to continually showing up for activists, not more like I am an activist, but I do not to say that I disvalidate anyone who, you know, doesn't do frontline work or those who do digital activism as not a form of activism. I, 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 I strongly validate their, their view and their values. I just think within my own, even my own self as an educator and amplifier supporter is just that I'm more of a different person within that realm. I love that. I mean, coming back to like the power education. And I think that's mm-hmm. like goes hand in hand and is equally as important, if not more, is like even activists are 
constantly looking to education and learning and growing themselves. And so, mm-hmm. yes, thank you for clearing that up because yeah, I guess yeah. Like, sometimes um, there's like, I, I feel like there can be a blurry line between those like terms where an activist mm-hmm. is someone, because I guess even with our um, like social media now and the day and age we live in now with like digital media, um, there's so much more resources out there that it could sometimes be a blurry line of like what is exactly yep. an activist versus an educator and yeah mm-hmm. but I think both are important and play a vital role in your life and I want to like jump forward a little bit into like uh like wellness and health and how you integrate that into like your life and like even the platform that you've created in the community and because I think for me personally like that goes hand in hand with sustainability and environmentalism is taking care of yourself as well as the planet and so like what what are you doing in terms of like health and wellness and in your life? You know, I think for me, I've always been someone that's been able to really control sometimes my stress levels. Um, I think that, you know, for so long growing up, I had this survival mentality, even throughout college, it was very dangerous and very toxic that like, of course, it left a lot of detrimental health effects long term for my mental health. Um, But I think that, you know, for me, what really kept me grounded in doing environmental work and being able to really give myself space to just understanding my own boundaries and also realizing too that, you know, there's so many amazing organizations, so many amazing individuals who are constantly doing this work, even so many like really great pages um, that have been doing so much work in the realm of sustainability that um, they should, you know, be more at the forefront, of course, of these conversations. So I think that just realizing one is that aspect, but two, it's like the way I engage my work is I don't necessarily see it as a job. I don't necessarily usually see it as like, this is, you know, like um, I need to be famous. I need this. It's more about like, this is what I really believed in. This basically just like really interacting the way of how I engage with my content. So for me, like the way I see that I was able to really contribute to my mental and physical health is like the way I obviously created this page was with intentionality, right? It wasn't like one day I was like, woke up and I was like, I need to create this page, right? Like I, like you did, like you said, Stu, I only was only involved in certain communities within my own magazine community that I really knew. So I didn't really know much of like a lot of things either or like other communities that have existed um, and it was over time that I had this intention of like being sure that if I create this page that, you know, there would obviously be responsibility within myself, but also the way that I would want to interact with others. So I think that the way I kind of saw it was like, you know, for me, writing can sometimes be liberating, right? And um, reading can be liberating. And I realized that like, for me, I, I was never the best writer in college. I was never the best reader in college. And I saw this as a way to really improve myself and my writing skills and just really improve that and my research skills because I feel like a lot of times there's this notion where people assume because you come from a low-income background, you attended a quote-unquote prestigious university, that you're usually smart and you're you're hardworking, but, or you had scholarships. And it's something that for me, it's like, I wasn't really that smart. I really struggled a lot in academia and it was just something that like people always assume that like, you know, you're just so intelligent. But I think for me, it's like just realizing where I'm able to heal through my page is what prioritizes me and to the community I really cultivated where people who uh, obviously valued their work, 
recognize their work and constantly honor, amplify, and share their work and constantly will always be like the forefront to advocate for their pages because they are the people that have been doing this work obviously like for X amount of years, not to say like, you know, I wasn't doing it and it was doing it in different forms or ways I was thinking my thoughts, but these people, black and just people of color environmental orgs and influencers and creators, activists, environmentalists have been doing this for years. And that's why um, for me, cultivating community on Instagram was really a way for me to connect with others, but also really meet so many amazing people I would have never ever met online, honestly, or in real life, I mean, like I would have never thought I would meet so many uh amazing individual like yourself either like you know like it's just like so so many people that like I love and like have developed so much unique relationships with is what really kept me going is what constantly keeps me going on the stage I agree I completely agree because that's like when I when I first started like and I told you about like how when I started looking for that community and then or like I wasn't even looking for a community I was just looking for like some different people to look up to and then suddenly I found this community and that just like, yeah, like connecting with yourself, connecting with all these other really cool people that I probably wouldn't have ever talked to or connected with. Um, and it, yeah, it's so cool. Like, and then you're constantly learning and growing from there as well. Cause I, I agree, like even myself, like I've always loved school, but I've never been like the most like academically passionate person, like the, you know, like straight A's or kind of thing but I love learning and like so I think Mm -hmm. finding different forms of um, educating yourself is also very important right whether that's like reading books watching movies listening to podcasts talking with other people um, whichever way helps like uh, helps you learn I think is like the Mm -hmm. more important thing and yeah I think like you know the education system like I mean there's a lot to talk about there too because of like the way the system that we we were kind of brought up in with like you know our grades kind of like prove everything even though we may have other like these other aspects and I think that's like the I think benefits of like once you leave school and then you leave that system and then you like open yourself up to all these like world of opportunities and realize like you know what your like what your report card says isn't like that doesn't define who you are and like how much you know and you're actively learning for the rest of your life not just until you graduate yeah. No, I, I honestly agree with that. I feel like grading systems oppress people, essentially. Unfortunately, we live in a world where obviously a lot of people value grades. They value the system that identifies them by a system. And I think for me, I don't, I never liked that. I, I always, always hated that. I always hated people always asking me, what did you get on this test? Or did you get a good grade? Or did you pass the class? And it's like, yes or no. But it's like, for me, like you said, like, you know, grading systems were constructed in a sense to form of like, of course, categorize and oppress people. Mm-hmm. And also the system itself, obviously, there's also other factors, of course, on it. And, um, you know, like, what is free education? What is that? And I think there's also, there's a, such a great page that does that. It's called Slow Factory that was created by Celine Simon that um, their organization has done open knowledge, um, circular system, open education systems that I've been doing so much great work and like I'm glad they're getting so much recognition. They should always be in the forefront of these conversations because, you know, environmental education, of course, like why is it that we allow a system of of this, you know, who knows what system is really creating this behind it of these uh, educational programs that are quote unquote common core or like 
quote unquote, um, ready to prepare you as an individual when these systems don't necessarily help you. They're all siloed. They're all, you know, singular variable. None of them are multivariable within themselves. So it's like, why do you, why do we expect that, you know, education systems that are created by institutions are as trustworthy as composed to others that of course, like, you know, um, organizations that have been doing open education, like such amazing orgs, like why don't we value them to a higher standard other than these institutions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that's such an important, like, you know, point, because that kind of goes along with everything, like the, even the environmental sector, it's like, um, just like the, the institutions that were raised up in, in, in society in general. And so it's like, how do we dismantle that and like, you know, pave a new way for like these new ideologies, new people like in those leadership positions. And um, yeah, so I just, I want to ask like, you know, what are some of the challenges that you have faced or continue to face like with like since ever since you started this journey or like just being in this uh, like part of this movement um, and as somebody that's like part of the like BIPOC community and queer um, so what are some of those challenges? I think the fact that like a lot of it can sometimes be uh, separated or singular so I think that it's really hard of course to make those interconnections sometimes Mm -hmm. but I think that you know, having this queer identity, being obviously, you know, cis male, also, um, you know, being, you know, brown person, obviously not like, you know, like, you know, there's different colors of like, you know, black and brown, like, you know, so it's like acknowledging also my own privileges too. And I think that, you know, some of the challenges myself I face, honestly, is this that fact that, you know, sometimes people obviously will not, will never always agree with my work, which is completely fine, of course, but to the fact that like a lot, I've always made it clear since day one of my pages that obviously these terms have always been created or obviously been coined by, right? So like none of that content that I obviously ever like create is from exactly like, obviously like, you know, my, like my, me creating that term, my thoughts and the way I define it. Yes, that's a lot of my thoughts and a lot of ideas that I have incorporated. And then of course, um, the way I write, of course, is, is my solely thought. So I think that sometimes people can always be like, oh, you didn't create this. And it's like, oh, well, of course I did it. <laughs> like, I, I, of course, I, I've claimed that I don't, I don't um, create these terms. And I think that's something that obviously I've always been citing my resources to be like, you know, this author said this, this author said this, this author said this. It's up to the individual to do their own research, too, of course. Mm-hmm. But to the fact that, um, you know, a lot of the times I think people sometimes think that, like, um, oh, like, why do you need to present academia through, obviously, like, a white lens when, and essentially, like, you know, I have always acknowledged that a lot of traditional ancestral knowledge is education, right, and should always be at the forefront of these conversation and should be always valued at the highest, right, other than academia being the second in that sense. And I think that, you know, a lot of the people sometimes think that way, but I think that I've clarified myself multiple times too that, you know, a lot, like I mentioned earlier, is that a lot of those terminologies are very sacred. And sometimes like I myself, I'm not in the position to be talking about those terms, right? And I think that too, another thing that, you know, like kind of like indigenous sovereignty, indigenous rights, like as someone who's obviously non-indigenous, like I don't have the rights to be talking about that essentially. I have the rights to support and, ta- and read about it, authors that are indigenous that have written about it, but I don't have the rights to really, you know, 
express myself in that way because I'm not indigenous. And, you know, a lot of the times, you know, you know, I don't want to look into terminologies from different uh, BIPOC individuals because of that sacred knowledge that is obviously like only available to their people. So why, why go into this academia extractive mindset to try to extract these terminologies and then claim it as yourself, you know? So I think that, you know, as I always told people, like, of course, that there's certain terms or certain phrases that obviously are related to the terms that are already constructed or that were created by academia. It's just that the way that their phrase or talked about is different within cultures, which is also valid, of course. So I think that something that I've always, I've always been at clarifying for and like have discussed with people and, you know, luckily, like, you know, they understand that too. And I think that it's obviously a misunderstanding sometimes, but also something that I've always been clarified. And I think it's usually the people who are newer to my page, whereas the ones who have followed me since the beginning, I think they've realized that and like recognized my mission of interconnectedness always. It's not something to be like, oh, well, yeah, like, like you know, this is there, but it doesn't really exist in my page, you know? Yeah, no, and that's a really good point for like, even um, people wanting to learn more about like environmentalism or like, you know, people that want to start opening up about this um, on their platforms is like just keeping in mind, like being mindful of like where you're getting information from and who you're sourcing. And like, it's so important to be highlighting like the BIPOC community that's been on the forefront for so long, mm-hmm. but not speaking for them, kind of showing their support for them. So like, mm-hmm. that's a really good point that you brought up that even as our responsibility is like just really being mindful of like, how we're sharing this information and who we're sharing it for and why we're sharing it. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's something that, of course, like, you know, always ask your resources, but also, of course, never glorify people either. Like, it's one thing to obviously appreciate and support the work, but I always tell people, like, like, never put me on a pedestal. Like, always see me as you, right? See me as the way I would want to treat you and I treat you the same way I want to be treated. So, it's something that I always tell people, like, of course, like, their thoughts and, like, valid. And I get always questions, too, from people who are like, can I create environmental education? I just don't want to copy your page aesthetic. And I'm like, um, it's not copying because I don't own rights to those environmental terms. No one ever said you're not able to define those terms. What is said, of course, is that you can't literally copy and paste my own thoughts and, like, mm-hmm. content that I've created, right? Like, that's then that's copying of course because then that means like what are you thinking but you can obviously be inspired by the words and like rephrase it or like construct your own words incorporating those frameworks and ideas like myself too of course I've obviously listened to a lot of conversations and um you know gone inspiration from ideas too of course but I think like obviously citing those resources are also valid but understanding too like I don't ever want to be the gatekeeper of environmental education and be like oh well I created this and I think of it this way you know it's more like you know, you were interested about environmentalism, is this going to help your career? Is this going to help you as an individual? Then do it, right? No one should ever make you feel ashamed or make you feel like you're copying someone or you're being aligned to, but recognizing too where copying obviously is incorporated where you can't just, you know, copy and paste someone's words over and claim it as yours. And I love that, like, you're you're paving this path. Like, the, the fact that you're able to, like, inspire other people to also go and like start educating their communities and like you know build their Mm -hmm. communities and continue this conversation because you're right like it's not like we own like that those terms or like just this whole movement it's like we're all in this together because sustainability means the world and like all the people Mm -hmm. that come together and I think 
because that makes me so happy to hear that more people want to start talking about it and sharing this information. I think a lot of times mm-hmm. what holds people back, because from my personal experience, I won't even say for everybody, is like when you don't know or you're scared of like putting stuff out there or like talking yeah. about it. Or the critique, yeah. Exactly, the critique, like even um, being in film. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm i so, like I want to bring light to diversity in film and things, but they wouldn't mm-hmm. talk about it openly or vocally because I was just... I was just afraid and like what you said in the beginning too of just like feeling sometimes feeling like you're not equipped with that um, knowledge to talk about it or you're just not like you know but I think so inspiring like another community to go start talking and starting these conversations within their families whether it's about the environment whether it's about racism um, humanity all of it's so important like just normalizing this and yeah, no, it's something that something should always be talked about and deconstructed. And I think that, of course, to understanding that your own privileges, like I'm not ever asking or demanding people to start talking about it in their jobs. Like what if they're a single parent or slash like that's their only job, like they don't, they're not supported by their family or they, you know, they are the support system of the family. So it's also recognizing that too, like not everyone can obviously do the same capabilities that I can. And of course, to myself, you know, being able, you know, I'm me and my brother and sister support my parents too of course so it's like something that's something obviously like you know it's something regenerative and also something that allowing that guilt and shame to go away because at the end of the day like you didn't create that organization you didn't create that company you didn't create that industry so blaming yourself for not speaking up against it like um you know it's you shouldn't feel ashamed but of course like you know injustices that are happening if you're seeing and you want to be vocal about it i always say you should or find ways to also support that individual that may have been oppressed or silenced in that industry of -hmm. course so it's something of course that it's it's like a a scenario case by case of course Mm -hmm. that's such a good point well so i want to end this off with the i always do a rapid fire questionnaire um Mm -hmm. at the end if you're down for that so like um five questions First thing that comes to mind um, in one to five words and no pressure. And if you go into a story, then like, I love stories, so (laughs) no pressure. All right. You ready? Okay. So the first one's best advice you've ever gotten. Be ready to fail, but be ready to learn. I love that. That's so important. That's something like I remind myself daily. Cause like you have to fail in order to learn. Yeah. It, it's, it was so hard. I think realizing that in college when like failing exams, failing like midterms, failing assignments, you're just like, like, Oh God. But then you're just like, okay, like I'll be okay. This is yeah. not destroying me, but you know, you'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. What did I learn from this? What can I do better next time? And like going forward. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And so second one's worst advice you've ever gotten. When one, but the worst advice I've ever gotten, I think I have to say, was that don't let one ever misconstrue your passions. Be- and I say that because I remember w- telling someone about my passions and they just like belittled me, like kind of looked down on me. And they're like, that's like, like no, like you need to think logically. Um, and I think that, like, you know, logic is important, of course, but using your emotions and your own thought, like, at the end of the day, you're, you're a temple, essentially. You come home to yourself, not to them. Yes. So, like, at the end of the day, you know your thoughts and your feelings more than yourself than they do, right? So I think that was a mistake I ever did was actually reach out to someone bigger than me. 
um, didn't really relate to me. And of course, like, you know, you know, perpetuated white supremacy. So I was like, why would I ever do, like, I was the biggest mistake as a young person at age 19 to ask for career advice. But I think that because of that person, like, I realized, like, wow, like, what are you doing? And then what am I doing now? Like, I'm way much more happy in my life than you are, obviously. Mm -hmm. That hits home so hard for me, for being, like, someone, like, going into film and arts and hearing, like, opinions or like asking the wrong people for advice in terms of like what's logical or what's safe Mm -hmm. or what's like yeah so you're right follow your passion because like you can create your you can turn your passion into something that's like like not only like better for yourself but better for the world right like take the Mm -hmm. skills that you have and the qualities you hold and do something better for like put something better out in the world I think not like not to say like pressuring everyone to do that obviously um but yeah Mm -hmm. like use the your tool in your way and like yeah so that's so great I love that third one is if you could fix one thing in the world what would that be I mean I think fixing the educational system mm-hmm. at the end of the day it's all inter- interconnected too of course we need to understand that but I, I, I mean you obviously understand that but at fixing the educational system that has obviously failed black indigenous people of color students across the world mainly of course low-income areas right mm-hmm. under-resourced communities and under-resourced educational systems that have failed to really implement equitable and just systems for students and also ensuring that the own professionals and teachers are obviously advocating for equitable, equal pay, of course, and high pay that pays them equitably fine, but also hiring people who actually love to teach students, not just like, I'm very smart. I have a high degree. When I talk to people, no one really understands my work, but I understand it and I'm going to teach because I'm smart and I, I get it. Like, I hate teachers like that. So I think that fixing the system like that is something I would want to see change but of course that means obviously like getting to the root cause that the mm-hmm. system of education from white supremacy yeah no that's such a big thing like just education like first of all like have accessible education to like everybody around the globe is like I think a start too and then you know evaluating reevaluating the education system that we currently are in and like what we've been learning and like yeah that's something a conversation I had with my younger sister she's 13 and she said not once did they learn about like Black Lives Matter or like just the history of Black or Indigenous neither did I grow up learning that it's something I learned mm-hmm. in my like adult life you know and so I think yeah definitely like reevaluating that and and the teachers yeah mm-hmm. the, that's a huge thing and I I only hope that like you know we keep pushing forward towards that change and we start seeing that soon and yeah, me too. I mean, like, I, I, I just saw too much in academia, even in college. And I was like, mm-hmm. why do you get paid so much for, like, failing your students or looking down on them? Like, that's not an educator. Yeah. That's just someone who cares about the money and their yeah. um, bougie or whatever lifestyle. And they don't care about students' well-being. They only mm-hmm. care about the money. Yeah. Like, it, it was just so disappointing seeing that. And I realized, like, man, if I can get rid of all these educators, mainly like the white professors that obviously uphold these institutions, like um, it's it's a a big issue for me. No, for sure. Same for me. Like I had that too, that same experience. Um, And funny story. So I just, I finished my third year and then I just, I I didn't go back for my fourth. 
it's been a year. Um, mm-hmm. I'll like eventually go back, but it was just, yeah, yeah. I just got to a point where I was like, I'm paying a lot of money to be here and I'm not getting what I'm like, like paying for. And it's just like the, I think the people that were in those positions and just realizing like, that was not what it's just, it does not align with my values at all. And just, yeah, it's, it's a huge issue. And yeah. I think like there's some people that decide like they're just going to stick through and like do it. And then it's like, okay, peace like now go do your own thing but I just couldn't like I was just like this is not yeah. for me and I'd rather and go out and learn myself or like figure out a different solution but yeah, yeah and take your time or whatever you need exactly. at the end of the day like you shouldn't be done in four years I honestly threw away a lot of my mental health and deteriorated it mm-hmm. because of the, this fact of society saying you have to graduate in four years mm-hmm. that's the reason why I like obviously messed up a lot of my mental health of mm-hmm. course and also the lack of support financially that academic academia provides especially for low-income students because like I said like you people always assume like oh you're on a scholarship you'll be fine but it's like I'm not on a scholarship scholarship and I'm struggling and I'm not just because I'm low income and like you know come from this like neighborhood that experiences environmental justice it doesn't always mean that like you know I'm like intelligent like it doesn't mean that I'm like always you know it was something that I had to realize myself too and also distinguished from obviously low-income students that were like me and came from under-resourced high schools that obviously a lot of them were of course intelligent too that's not to say they're not but for me it's like it's not always the case like that yeah yeah no 100 percent. that like very resonates with me oh my gosh I love talking to you because I feel like we have a lot in common just like things yeah. that like connect us um experience wise and like maybe a conversation for another time um but um so the fourth one is what do you do for self-care back to mental health and well-being oh my god this is such a good thing but I think for me honestly um you know with my boyfriend and I we like FaceTime a lot so it's really great to have someone in your love life like to be there to support you through like a lot of things that you've been going through but also be able to watch like Netflix party together so I think for me it's like I watch a lot of Netflix and also watch a lot of anime um by myself of course and it's like me time mm-hmm. so I think like that's something that's like the best self-care practice yeah. for that I do honestly that, that's so awesome being with your loved ones like people that like bring you up and like uplift you and then mm-hmm. and then me time is so important like I even for myself I'm a very outgoing person and I like feed off the energy of other people but I need <laughs> time right like you need that time to like sit with your thoughts and reflect on who you are and and just treat yourself without feeling guilty exactly yeah that's exactly awesome. the last one is where do you see yourself in 10 years <laughs> this is really i love this question i honestly you know i the work the full work time schedule for me is not really necessarily for me i see it in the future i see myself in the future hopefully becoming either an educator professor um unfortunately in an institution maybe or slash an ngo Mm-hmm. Um, or also being a motivational speaker where I can really educate and work closely in constructing climate education um, programs or climate education systems within schools. And I think that's something that I, I really want to do in the future. And I think that with Queer Brown Vegan, it's really opening a lot of doors of opportunities for me, but also like a lot of thankfulness for my community for just supporting me as an individual because I would never have thought like, you know, I would be able to really make this my career in the future or even think of an idea of making this as a 
uh, career in my future because, you know, in society or in college, always in grains of like, you just get a job, you work at an industry, you sell yourself for X amount of years and you get no recognition, you get no status in the sense of like um, appreciation for the work you did. It's more about like, oh, grats, like you did it for us, but under the company's name, we own or label everything as us and owned by us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's so great. And you know what? We do need more educators like yourself. And I think, like you said, like um, being in that institution, we need more professors. We need more teachers that are like yourself, you know, that change and challenge the system. And even if it's like you have to work within that institution, you're there and you're able to, you you have that. But it's just like, you know, when you get into politics, it's like once you're in there, mm-hmm. you have the power to create change. And it, it may take yep. some time. It's not going to be like an overnight change, but like you're starting it. And it's like. Exactly. And so um, also each week we, um, like as a show, we recommend something to our listeners. And this week I want to recommend um, the Instagram account, Intersectional Environmentalist. Um, and I think that you have a, there's a website and everything. And it's so, so great. Cause like, um, not only for like everyone to check out and see, um, the resources that, and the blog posts and the people they're featuring, but you're just mm-hmm. learning something new and you just like, you're open to this whole new like community, which is something I recently found. So, and you're part yeah. of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was connected with them and, um, Leah has an amazing team. I'm so glad to be part of the committee or team itself and it's just something that I helped work on the LGBTQ2S plus section mm-hmm. so um, just like creating a quick paragraph about or summary about it and just finding the resources that I felt that one should also engage and not through obviously a western lens but also like clearing the environmental field so um, definitely check out that page I'm so thankful for everything the work that Leah has been doing and I think that um, intersectional environment has, is going to be doing such a big thing. So of course, I can't speak on it because obviously I'm like not like one of the forefronts. I'm just a member of the community, but definitely they have so much amazing updates and really recommend those who are getting into environmentalism to check them out. Yes, I love that, especially like those that are getting into environmentalism. So you're not like a few years down and you're like, oh, wow, like this is something... I never thought about it. It's like this, this should be like, again, at the forefront, the first thing that you mm-hmm. think of, right? Um, but yeah, thank you so much for being such a yeah, light yeah. in this world and for chatting with me and like taking time uh-huh. out of your day. And um, how can people find you if they want to connect with you after this? Yeah, definitely. You can follow me at Queer Brown Vegan, either on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, Pinterest, soon to be on Tumblr and TikTok. Actually, I'm on all those platforms. I just need to post more on those. Mm-hmm. And also you can check out my website, www.queerbrownvegan.com. And you can find my LinkedIn on there too, if you'd love to connect with me um, through also a professional setting. So um, definitely support my work and also make sure to check out the people I follow. Um, those are people that I always, obviously will always recommend to follow and also follow your podcasting page. So oh, thank definitely you so check much. them out. Thank you so much. Do you have any final thoughts? Thank you so much again for having me. And I really appreciate everything that you've done and like continue doing. And I can't wait to see how your work blossoms over the next few months and years. Likewise. Thank you so much. I hope you take care.